Um, welcome Hello. to Pop DNA. If you didn't already know, this is Pop DNA, and we're a podcast. We've, we've called you and... all together um, to trace some literary, <laughs> historical, and you know all other roots of yeah. of all of our favorite pop culture. I think this this month, this little mini series that we're kicking off, this is a this is a first for us in a few different ways. Yeah. Um, we've never talked about a a stage musical before, right? So that's I I don't think we have. have no, we? I usually just pepper it in no. on my own. <laughs> but yeah, well, I well, I just thought of like in our um, in Crazy Ex Girlfriend, we talked a lot about musical theater because that's sure you know, a very obvious influence. But yeah, we've never talked about a musical, so landmark. I don't know. No, yeah, it's. I was, but we're also, <laughs> but you know, I think um, it's important to make the distinction that yes, we are talking about Hamilton, the stage musical, but we're also talking about the 2020 Hamilton film, right? That was released on Disney Plus because that's how most people experienced it, yeah, for the first time. So. Um, and you know it is it is a different production. Like we can get, we can get into all of the specifics. We weren't planning to, but like, <laughs> but like it is the film is a distinctly different work from the stage musical. Absolutely. And I think that's you know like there was there was cinematography that went into the film, and it was staged slightly differently when they were filming the close-ups than when they just you know perform the musical so certainly it's different and I think that that's the thing that I was the most nervous about when I went to watch it is after a lifetime Mm -hmm. of doing theater and watching those awful videos of stage shows that just yeah. don't have the magic to them where they just fix the camera uh-huh. on the stage and it's like mm. Mm, this is awful yeah uh, so <laughs> yeah I was really relieved and of course I should have just figured they would do that but so many years Rhonda so many years <laughs> so if you haven't you know heard Hamilton is an American musical with book and lyrics by my favorite human, Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) It uses the Ron Chernow um, biography as the majority of its source material. And then it it was directed by Thomas Kale and choreographed by Andy Blankenbuehler. And the show debuted on Broadway on January 20th of 2015. And... Miranda and Kale knew each other in college at Wesleyan. Like, yeah, yeah. If I'll, I'll actually be talking a little bit about their working relationship in a later part of this series. It's amazing. So, and then, of course, like we mentioned, the 2020 Hamilton film. It's comprised of three separate live mm. performances. So I think it was two separate nights of live performances, and then they also staged the production without an audience and that's when they brought in cameras for the close-ups interesting so it's yeah comprised of all three of these different recordings that they edited together and of course the film 
itself was also directed and produced by Thomas Kale, was produced, written, and composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it's, it stars the musical's original uh, principal Broadway cast. So the film of Hamilton was originally planned for a theatrical release on October 15th of 2021, but it got moved up to July 3rd of 2020 because Disney knew that we needed it. Yeah. I guess. It was released digitally worldwide via Disney+. Plus. Uh, the film was acclaimed by critics for the visuals, the performances, and direction. And, fun fact, it became the most streamed <laughs> film of 2020. Oh my goodness. <laughs> for a long time, there was a lot of like kind of bitter speculation that we would never get the film before we went into right. COVID. And before we got the date of 2021, there was a lot of um, very bitter theater goers who could not get tickets. We're like, we're never going to get it. Okay. Calm <laughs> down, you guys. Yes. So I, uh, I actually can't believe I don't know this about you, but have you seen a live performance of Hamilton? No, I've seen, I've seen three performances of in the Heights with Lin-Manuel in the tight, in the role, but, oh, okay. but I've not seen him. That's the same thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. So then how were you first aware of Hamilton? So I was, okay, this isn't good. This is just going to sound like one of those theater kid stories because it is. I'm very sorry, my friends, but <laughs> I was in rehearsal for a show and everyone was freaking out around the first time that people were like, oh my goodness, Hamilton. NPR did a first listen of um, kind of preliminary recordings and a friend of mine gave it to me and I like, you know, freaked out on a bus on the way home from a dance rehearsal. And sure, as one, as, does. As one does. And then a few months later, my Pandora station played Burn. And, and mm. I just kind of stopped what I was doing and like was in awe of the lyrics and just loved the instrument, the instrumental and Philippa Sue's voice and everything. And I said, I have to know more about this musical. And surprise, surprise, it was Hamilton. Um, I think I was late to my shift at the Children's Museum because I stopped and just <laughs> listened and nerded out. What about you? So I don't remember when I, when I, I mean, there was like, I think every few years there's like kind of general pop culture buzz about like the new hit Broadway musical that everyone's talking about. Sure. So, like, I was used to kind of hearing about, like, oh, like, this is really big on Broadway. I wonder if they'll ever, you know, tour and bring it to Seattle. So, like, when I first heard of Hamilton, it was kind of in that context. Like, oh, this is, like, the new hit Broadway musical. That's cool. Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of how I saw it at first. But then, like, I think I just kind of, like, kept hearing about it and kept hearing about it and realized, oh, this isn't, this isn't just another hip new musical right. like this is like something really culturally important it seems like you know just you know because of like the content of the show itself and because people kept talking about how good it yeah, is because sure. <laughs> I like I've talked about this before I'm not a fan of in general of like newer musicals sure. I just don't think that most of them are very well written. 
yeah. So like that's kind of how like yeah. And if you if you like new musicals, I'm not trying to like say that you're wrong or anything. I just personally don't find them compelling most of the time. Um so I was prepared to judge Hamilton very harshly. Uh-huh. And like I like the soundtrack I think was available, you know, on Pandora and Spotify and everything, but I didn't listen to it. So I'm like, it's musical music. I don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then uh, my, <laughs> so this isn't quite my experience, but my, my brother and sister-in-law had season tickets to the fifth Ave in Seattle. And one of the performances that they got to see was Hamilton <gasps> and they <laughs> they sat like way up in the in the balcony like in the nosebleeds because you know those were the seats they could uh-huh. get and um and they were both just completely blown away by yeah. it and like my brother's kind of like me like he doesn't like musicals but like at least I don't think he does <laughs> he's never said that he particularly likes them but but he was like no like this is this is really good. Um, oh, and another funny story. So my sister-in-law, um, she she said that, like, she's sitting in her seat waiting for the show to start. And she's looking through the program and, like, looking at all the photos of the actors. And she's like, oh, this is, like, a really diverse cast. And then, <laughs> and then like, and she says, like, and then, like, they came on stage and started rapping. And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, she didn't know. So, yeah, that's funny. But. So I was like, all right, well, I guess maybe this one's good. And then I watched it, you know, when it came out on Disney Plus and was like, oh, yeah, it is good. And there have been so many historical (laughs) musicals that are so. Right. Like 1776. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That like I, you know, I'm obsessed with musicals and I can't handle historical Mm -hmm. musicals. I don't. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. No, none of it. (laughs) <laughs> it's too dense everyone like I don't know whatever I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda's storytelling style is also really advanced he kind of makes a story move along even when it's a complex one mm-hmm. and I think that's really helpful with this as well because you know when you hear the name Hamilton if none of us had ever heard of Hamilton like, it does sound stuffy and kind of like, okay, uh-huh, sure. <laughs> right, yeah. Hamilton, the guy on the on the $10 yeah, bill. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think another really interesting thing about Hamilton is that kind of its journey to Broadway was a lot different than maybe some of them. Um, other musicals go through a, a few different, like, there's a few different avenues you can go through in a mu- to get a musical to Broadway. But Hamilton's trajectory was just a little bit different, um, which I think, I don't know, kind of just adds to the, like, speculation it's it's kind of had and, like, the spectacle that it's become. Because I think one of the initial stage readings and concert versions of the show was done at the White House. So, mm-hmm. usually... Yeah, you can watch videos of it. Like, usually... A show gets, you know, either has like a um, a workshop performance or kind of an off-Broadway run or even an out-of-state run um, 
and then comes to Broadway, but Hamilton went straight to um, the White House. And you can hear you can hear the first time. So in that first opening song, when they get when Lin Manuel first says like that they're talking about Hamilton, everyone laughs. Everyone kind of thinks it's uh-huh. like a joke. He goes, "My uh-huh. name is Alexander <laughs> Hamilton," and you can hear the whole room kind of like, "Oh, um, oh, <laughs> is is that what this show is?" Um, where this is a musical about the guy who started the National Treasury. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think I think that that laughter um, kind of highlights what we're talking about right now about, you know, this is a different kind of show. But I did want to talk about kind of the three different ways to get to Broadway because I think they're really interesting and are all really different. Are you ready for story time? <laughs> Yes. So, um, like I mentioned, there's three different ways that we can take a show from page. Well, I mean, there's three different major avenues and then there's outliers Mm -hmm. in all of them, obviously. But sure. So a really common way is to take the show through um, a workshop. So the show will be cast for six to ten weeks and throughout the process, um, actors are hired and um, kind of amid like all of these changes, the actors are still kind of asked to put on a professional show, even if the script, the songs, the staging, the choreography, even sometimes the set pieces are changing um, around them. They're still asked to. It's it's kind of like um, a longer audition process for them too, because they can always be mm-hmm. like after ten weeks, they can always say, "Oh, you know, thank you, but." we're going to maybe keep auditioning this. And that's pretty common. Like it's not a failure necessarily. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the, it just wasn't the right thing. Yeah. The yeah. show kind of changes, um, but it, it also, it doesn't make it any easier to consider that while you're also learning brand new lines before you're going to be put through an invest, mm-hmm. put like with a, um, a group of investors or learning brand new choreography with a, entire cast of people when you know that you have to sell the show too like it's Mm -hmm. this interesting vacuum of stress and exhilaration and exhaustion I think but the most important part is that at the end of this 10 weeks six sometimes six which is ridiculous but at the end of this six to ten weeks a whole room of really famous investors and producers will watch you put on a show and they kind of have the the say as to whether or not you have a show or better luck next time, kid. <laughs> and this one's a little bit weird, too, because they might be figuring out set pieces, but you don't get them. You're generally mm-hmm. um, in a rehearsal sure. space. So you're in a rehearsal space, sometimes just in your dance clothes, trying to kind of portray this whole world of a show. So that's one really popular and really stressful way to bring the show to Broadway. Um, There's also kind of these off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway productions where you get to do the full show, but you're in a smaller theater in New Mm -hmm. York. It's funny to me how they note these things as off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway. And then, uh, (laughs) like, it, it all has to do with actual proximity to the street of Broadway, which I just think is hysterical. (laughs) 
there is professional theater all around the country, but Mm -hmm. off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway are still distinctions that professionals talk about. So um, (laughs) you get your full show, you get professionals performing in um, a professionally set-dressed and propped um, performance, and yet we still call it off but that's that's just my high horse and I'm just annoyed about it <laughs> and then there's also you also might have a full production in another state like at the fifth ave or like mm-hmm. um at other like the public was where uh, Hamilton did theirs but or like in like in slings and arrows when they bring their Hamilton production or not Hamilton Hamlet yes. production uh to Broadway exactly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Which I also think is pretty elitist because those are full performances in gorgeous theaters, but they're not like Broadway is still this huge distinction. Um, That's also true even more, maybe annoyingly. So that's that's also true of international productions, like an international production might be doing amazingly internationally, but there's still that. But it also made it to Broadway. Like, calm down. okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> international productions are incredible, and we kind of need to calm down. But okay, Broadway's Broadway is pretty self-important, is what you're saying. Um, uh, hire me, please. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, and we'll get to how Lin Manuel kind of circumvents that, I think, um, in just a second. But. Because he does. He makes it more of a community than this kind of hoity-toity, mm-hmm. like, right. exhausting world <laughs> where artists are expected to produce loving works and yet they're told that they're trash. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, Hamilton premiered off-Broadway at the Public Theater in 2015. In 2016, they did the concert slash staged reading at the White House to um, President Obama, First Lady Michelle Obama, and a full audience of other political people, uh, which is, oh my god, I just, you you really should go back and watch that video, because it's really interesting. It's interesting to see the response before it becomes a phenomenon, Mm -hmm. um, which is some of my favorite stuff about the history of shows and musicals is watching them be watched for the first time before we've been told what to think about them. So go back and watch mm-hmm. that. Okay. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about something called ham for ham. Have you come across this mm. phenomenon? I love ham. I, do- <laughs> I love ham. Do you like to feed ham to <laughs> Hamilton? I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy a nice honey ham from time to time. Steamed ham. I enjoy a good steamed ham. <laughs> yes. For all steamed you, ham. All you Simpsons <laughs> fans out there. Um, so. Wasn't that your Twitter bio? It is. For a little while. <laughs> I think it might. I enjoy a good steamed ham. It might ham. still be my Insta. Yeah. I enjoy a good. <laughs> I hadn't seen that skit and it's. It made me laugh till I cried. Um, but why? That would be, a, that would actually, that would be a great bio for a dating app. Yes. <laughs> Until someone took it the great. wrong way and they were like, oh, hey. Anywho. Um, oh, gosh. So ham for ham. 
So fast forwarding slightly, when Hamilton first got, you know, waves of popularity that I don't think even Lin-Manuel was expecting. Um, I think he wrote a nerdy musical about history and then the world freaked out. I don't think he's on record to kind of note this wasn't the response that maybe they thought they would get. But in the wave of that popularity, um, Manuel Miranda was seeing like how many people would show up and just wait in line and then have to get turned away and kind of mm-hmm. the massive support they were getting. Um, and he was really aware that without that support, they couldn't be this successful. Like he didn't want to become the popular jock uh, in high school, you know, where he mm-hmm. assumes he's, you know, godly or whatever. But um, so what he did <laughs> to, to support the audiences who get turned away is he created Ham for Ham, which was a series of skits and improv and collaborations between the Broadway casts where they would come and present shorter skits or series of songs or whatever the case was, um, which brought different actors together to specifically to engage with the audiences who were waiting in the cold every day. So we saw Mm -hmm. like Dear Evan Hansen and Lin-Manuel Miranda, or sorry, Ben Platt from Dear Dear Evan Hansen and Lin-Manuel Miranda do a, a duet that then was used as a fundraiser for March for Our Lives. We saw, um, which to this day makes me sob. I just got like chills thinking about it. We (laughs) saw um, Audra McDonald come and um, portray Billie Holiday as she was doing um, at the time. We see all sorts of different really cool collaborations across the Broadway community all put together so that people would feel supported even if they couldn't go to the show or even if they couldn't afford to buy an outright Mm -hmm. ticket and had to get um, in this line so that they could get a discount seat. But it also made sure that kind of the rivalries between actors who were going up for the same parts or um, kind of the competitive nature between shows was assuaged a little bit so that there was a bigger collaboration Mm -hmm. happening. And I don't think... We had seen that before in Broadway history. I think generally people are pretty sure. like egotistical when it comes to theater. Again, I'm a the- pretty cutthroat. Yeah, like again, I'm a theater kid. Like I love it, but I also think that there's this culture of we have to be cutthroat or else it's gonna all mm. not. I I don't know, but uh, it's something we. Well, you know, with anything in the arts, there's always an element of ego. Yeah, and. Like, you know, how how you are perceived by other people and your reputation. And, right. And when you're doing something artistic, that can be very deeply emotional. And when that when those things like get tied together, like, yeah, I can see how it would be instinctive to kind of go on the offensive like totally. that. So, yeah, it's just my favorite thing about Lin-Manuel Miranda. It also makes me think of like the the Twitter his Twitter account where for like three years he mm-hmm. <laughs> he would tweet like you're gonna have the best day of your life put in in poetic words by 
by an amazing poet and writer, but kind of he, he took care of the nation for a time there as well. He also tends to cast similar people or he casts the same like group of actors in many of his roles. So he kind of creates that support of actors who he really um, appreciates. And I'm not done, you know, singing the praises of Lin-Manuel Miranda, but I think I should probably (laughs) cede my airtime. (laughs) I cede my time. Um, (laughs) I mean, we we have three more (laughs) installments of this discussion. So, but I, yeah, I find, I do find that really, really interesting and just really admirable that he has tried to foster that community in in the cutthroat world of theater and yeah especially with like making theater and performances more accessible yeah like I think that's what I really find intriguing because I like I'm assuming that this was like this was free because the like people were like standing out in the streets behind the theaters anyone and it yeah, and and they would just, like, come out and perform for them. Like, that's, yeah. Even if you weren't in line. That's really cool. Yeah, it started to be that even <laughs> wow, if you weren't okay. in line for the show, you could still come and see Like, even him. if you weren't, like, you could be like, yeah, like, I, I don't even care about seeing the show. I'm just going to go see the, the free performance yeah. outside the theater. Yeah, totally. And I think that idea of, like, making theater, like, accessible to people... I think that's something that has kind of been lost in our current century, you know, like with like the elitism that is so seemingly baked into, especially, well, like most of the arts are kind of this way, but it seems like especially in theater, there is a lot of elitism, um, which, you know, is not... That's not how it's always been. Certainly. You know, if you look at like in Shakespeare's time, like theater was for the masses. It was for like the average everyday people who, you know, would come into the Globe Theater and they would be standing, you know, standing room only on the floor in front of the stage. And there was probably like mud and maybe like animal poop, but people would just like (laughs) stand there. And watch these plays that were written for normal, everyday people to understand. Like, they would understand all the references because it was things that they encountered in their everyday lives. And I'm going on a rant now. Um, I like it. (laughs) um, But yeah, so I did want to talk about Shakespeare, not just because (laughs) he's our podcast mascot, but because I see... A lot of Shakespeare influence in Hamilton. Totally, and I—I I mean, not that I'm saying that Lin Manuel Miranda is our modern Shakespeare, because that is actually Taylor Swift. <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe Lin Manuel Miranda is like our modern Christopher Marlowe. Okay, which honestly. Honestly, I think Marlowe's a better writer than Shakespeare. <laughs> you can fight me on that if you want. But don't anyway, fight her. I like her. Shakespeare. <laughs> Shakespeare's more influential than Marlowe, I think. Sure. Is 
safe to say. So, uh, so the show Hamilton references Macbeth a few times. Yeah. Um, I think there's a reference to Burnham Wood at one point and yeah, there's a few other references, but I really see elements of, you know, Shakespearean tragedy in general that are woven into the story, into the writing of Hamilton. I just a couple of things I immediately thought of. I think of Hamilton and Burr's dynamic is very similar to Othello and Iago yeah. in Othello. And then Hamilton's kind of self-consciousness, his awareness of his role as a person in a story recalls Hamlet, kind of that same awareness of narrative right. that Hamlet has. And then just looking at the the basic elements of Shakespearean tragedy, we can see a lot of them in Hamilton. So we have a tragic hero. We have a dichotomy of good and evil. A really, really interesting and key element of Shakespearean tragedy is hamartia, which is the hero's tragic flaw. And we do see this very clearly in Hamilton. He is so devoted to the honorable conventions of the duel and to honor itself that he fails to even comprehend the lack of honor in other people. And that is his downfall. And then his tragic hero's death is even foreshadowed by his son's death, which kind of happens in the same way. Another element of Shakespearean tragedy is themes of fate or fortune. I don't know that I would argue that fate actually exists within the world of the narrative, but there is a very clear and conscious foreshadowing that's used as a device to such an extent that you kind of get the sense that the events of the story are inevitable, which leads to a feeling of fate. Right. So it's definitely in there as well. And then a few more elements we have are greed, (laughs) revenge (laughs) that, that turns out foul or not the way you anticipated. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The paradox of life, uh, internal and external pressures, which these are numerous and very apparent in Hamilton. (laughs) And then supernatural elements. So, I don't think that there's anything decidedly supernatural in Hamilton, but there are some kind of like surrealist elements. Um, I'm thinking especially in um, The World Was Wide Enough where time slows down. Yeah. And there's like, there's even like fan theories that like one of the actresses in the ensemble represents death itself. Uh And she like, like passes in. I think she like passes behind him and that like for or something like that. But anyway, like there's, there's stuff like that in there. So I think this is very Shakespearean. (laughs) Right. I think that same actress plays the bullet itself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. We can dig into the fan theories some other times. So, (laughs) um, But then I also think that Hamilton has a lot in common with Shakespeare's histories, which is, you know, (laughs) 
oh, really? <laughs> oh, it's a history. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I think that Henry V is a very apt comparison in terms of dramatizing a historical figure. So the character of Hamilton is... I like I see a lot of similarities between him and the character of Henry V. One other thing is that like many of Shakespeare's histories, Henry V uses a chorus to give background and, and exposition and to advance the story. Sure. Which Hamilton, like many musicals, he uses an ensemble to do that. There is this great medium article by Rachel Singer that actually draws some really interesting comparisons between Hamilton and Shakespeare's histories in general. She talks about how some people have objected to Hamilton's portrayal as a, quote, revolutionary manumission abolitionist in spite of his real connections with slavery. Yeah. Others have criticized the musical's positive portrayal of slaveholding characters in general. And, um, of course, historians have pointed out that much of the plot, um, like the election of 1800 and Hamilton's relationship with Angelica Schuyler, are not true to history. They have been kind of embellished and um, revised. So it's very much revisionist history. But if you look at Shakespeare's histories... Shakespeare also consciously changed history. Um, A lot of the changes were for dramatic effect or just to condense things into, you know, a a timeline that was manageable. So he shortened the timeline in Henry V, um, which allows him to, to show the entire scope of Henry V's reign in one play. And then the character of Falstaff in Henry V is completely fictional, completely invented by Shakespeare. Oh, interesting. Um, but this is to, yeah, but Falstaff is there, of course, to to serve as like a foil to show Henry's character development. Sure. So Singer goes on to say that Miranda's characterizations are usually more complex than Shakespeare's kings, but he does make certain characters, um, examples being like Washington, the Schuyler's, Hamilton himself more sympathetic so that the audience can relate to them. Like that's a very common um, practice. And then she also comments on the choice to cast actors of color to play white slaveholders and to use rap music, which is a genre created by black musicians to tell the story of America's founding makes a statement about how the United States was founded and what it has become in the more than 200 years since then. Which I will be discussing that more at length yeah. later on. But then she also she points out that Hamilton's minority casting parallels Shakespeare's use of lower class and non-English protagonists to make history more relatable to marginalized groups of people and to give them a sense of ownership of their own country's past. So it's making history and making the story more accessible for common people, which is exactly what Lin-Manuel Miranda was doing. Uh, And then she says Shakespeare's audience would likely have felt a lot like we do watching Hamilton. Shakespeare's plays depicted the history of his audience's own country, 
And he was writing about the history about two centuries after the events that he depicted for an audience who would have been familiar with his characters. Right. So a lot of parallels there. Both playwrights use wordplay and subtle symbolism and dramatic motifs to make the history feel relevant and engaging. I'm going to talk more at length about Hamilton's historical context, um, I think in part four. I'm just sitting here filled with love for Lin-Manuel Miranda still, so I'm kind of like... I'm just... (laughs) I'm just sitting here filled with love for Shakespeare. We love a Shakespeare. We love a Lin Manuel. We love Miranda. a Shakespeare. We would shake a spear. Yeah. I think they would be. I think they'd be buddies. Uh huh. Um, they totally would. <laughs> well, except there's there's the issue that now people think. So, did you hear that really funny story where um, Lin Manuel Miranda was? Someone saw him like at a street corner in New York or something, and they shouted, Yay, Hamlet! And he was like, mm, what, uh, I wish I had written Hamlet. So they'd have to, like, they'd have to, like, work that out that Lin-Manuel wasn't claiming that he had written Hamlet. I think Shakespeare might be kind of upset sure, about sure. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he just... It's fine. He just smiled. He was, he's a, I love him. But, um, but yeah, apparently someone was very confused. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, or like like I earlier mixed up the words Hamilton and Hamlet. They're very similar. They are very similar. I also They're though, very similar names. <laughs> even, if, even if they had been correct about the name of the play, I still really appreciate anyone who goes up to a public figure and says, Yay! Title of thing you wrote. Like, that's just... Yeah. <laughs> such a bizarre thing like i really liked your work or i really appreciate what you've done but not like i think yay the word yay conveys that okay so okay it's fine so the next the next time i meet a hero of mine i'm just gonna say yay and then just whatever it was that they did that i appreciated like we meet amy sherman paladino yay bunheads yay bunheads (laughs) yeah well I don't don't think we're going to be seeing any uh, people in public. Uh-huh. That's true. <laughs> soon. That's true. At least for a couple more months. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But next week, we've got a fun episode planned. We sure do. We're going to talk about the costumes and the choreography and how they help tell the story mm-hmm. and and include those like historical references as well be sure to follow us on the twitter and the instagram and check out our blog the pop dna blog for links to everything we chatted about here dot oh the wow i i put in a the there <laughs> dot blog the pop dna dot blog yeah for links to everything yeah it's all up there and as always be kind to each other wear your masks and have a lovely week have a lovely week friends goodbye bye it's margaret cho here to tell you about the highly anticipated new tv series kung fu Wednesday on The CW. 
Watch TV's newest butt-kicking Nikki Shen, a young Chinese-American whose trip to China becomes a three-year journey of self-discovery at the ancient Shaolin Monastery. But when tragedy strikes, she must return home to San Francisco, only to discover that her community is overrun with crime and that her own family is the target of a notorious triad. Nikki will use her next-level kung fu skills to protect her community. Catch the incredible series premiere of Kung Fu, Wednesday at 8, 7 central, or stream free next day only on The CW.